0: Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Time is relative. Who said that? Remember who said that? Albert Einstein. Very good. All right. He's one of the most brilliant minds of the 20th century, as we know, or arguably of all time, perhaps. And his now famous general theory of relativity, Einstein proved with his mind-bending formula, E equals M C squared, that time bends too. And ever since, human beings have been talking about manipulating the so-called fabric of the universe or the space-time continuum. You're here people using these terms and tearing it, puncturing it, warping it, or otherwise subjecting it to some other kind of violence. But nowadays, we just throw those terms around as if we knew what we were talking about. I, for one, still can't seem to wrap my feeble mind around these Einsteinian physics. And it's it goes way back to 1905. That's when Einstein first published this new paradigm, for understanding our universe. 1905. My, how time does fly. And speaking of time flying, last Thursday's, Thursday night's illuminating SpaceX launch got me thinking of some of the scientific advancements that took place after Einstein, like in the middle of the 20th century. And I'm talking about such things as the Apollo 11 lunar landing in 1969 that left actual Footprints on the moon. These four-way forays into space only seem to expand our vocabulary further, if not also Earth's domain. And so, with our Amer- American astronauts splashing back down to Earth, we started talking about how such astronauts age more slowly in space than the rest of us stuck here on Earth, on account of those high speeds the rocket ships must achieve to break orbit and then do all their space errands and get back before they run out of oxygen. The scientific fact of aging more slowly takes into account Einstein's special theory of relativity, which says that time slows down relative to an object hurtling faster and faster through space. Well, the upshot for NASA astronaut Scott Kelly was that he could boast upon returning home in 2016 from his history-making year-long stay on the International Space Station. Now he was technically a scientifically verifiable one-one-hundredth of a second older than his twin brother. Wow, a whole one-one-hundredth of a second. And he was probably a few centimeters uh, taller, too, For the lack of gravity for that amount of time, allowing his spinal cord to expand. So chiropractors, watch out. But this meager difference in elapsed time only shows that we've got an awfully long way to go before we stop using our anti-aging cream and start picking up tickets for the next space shuttle launch. But, ask Scott Kelly's then fiancé, now wife, if time passes more slowly on earth or in space. With all the possible things that could tragically go wrong hundreds of miles into the heavenlies, worry alone could well account for more rapid aging back here on earth. More rapid aging, and I'm sure for a year, that seemed to be a lot longer on the surface of the earth uh, as his fiance was awaiting his safe return well it'd be kind of like waiting for a son or a daughter returning from war or a spouse to return from an overseas deployment when international tensions are rising worry can really grip you and seem itself to become one of the strongest forces in the universe and all this talk about Relativity of time, depending on one's frame of reference. I wonder how it must have been for Jesus, the Word who was with God and was God, to step into time from transcending it from eternity past, if one could even speak of eternity past, to go from forever coexisting with the Father and the Spirit, one God, outside the realm of time and whatever time is he created it for all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made john tells us then the word jumps into this time realm that he created and he became uh, he becomes flesh starting the same way all human beings start as a single cell zygote but in his virgin mother's tomb What a a story that is fully divine still, yet not counting equality with God something to cling to. He emptied himself of all his majestic, majestic rights and in his state of humiliation became man in order to serve us. All this happened in earth time as Luke documents in the days of Caesar Augustus when Quirinius was governor of Syria. That was Christmas. This is Lent. We're barely into the second of six weeks of Lent now, and it's becoming quite clear just exactly how the Messiah, whom Peter properly identifies as such, just exactly how Jesus plans to serve his followers, and indeed how he plans to serve the whole world. For Jesus has had... All of planet Earth in his long-term sights. And by all, I mean both geographically and chronologically. So Jesus is looking down the quarter of time and he sees you included in the plans uh, that he um, plans on serving us. And he's going to serve this entirely lost planet by what he now tells Peter, namely from our gospel quote, that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And it says, he said this plainly. Well, this is an interesting account here today on the second Sunday in Lent because this whole exchange, this insightful declaration by Peter uh, that Jesus is the Christ, And then the serious rebuke that he earns from our Lord, get behind me, Satan. All this happens right before the Mount of Transfiguration in Mark's Gospel. And we just celebrated that on Transfiguration Sunday two weeks ago. So right there is a good example of time being relative to one's frame of reference. We're looking today at Peter's limited insight into Jesus' identity through a Lenten lens as something needed to be repented of. And certainly, anything that we could do or say that the Lord attributes to the devil in our lives, that is certainly something that needs repenting of, right? And here I might just add that our deceitful hearts lead us astray at times, when, whether we like to admit it or not, our lips might pray, Thy will be done. But what we really mean is, my will be done. We seek at times to bend the Lord's will to our will instead of the other way around and instead of us always being flexible, malleable, willing to bend and go along with whatever our Lord's will is in everything. This is a danger that can creep in and get us as close to our relationship with the Lord as our very own prayers spoken in our very own prayer closets. And so, Reserving this gospel reading for the time of Lent serves us by leading us to look at this text while wearing purple Lenten glasses, so to speak, purple penitential glasses. Interestingly, this same parallel passage in Matthew's gospel, which we read in lectionary year A, or in B now, we find the same event of Peter rebuking our Lord, and then our Lord rebuking Peter. And this reading for year A comes up during the long season of Pentecost, not Lent, Pentecost. So that is the long, green, growing season of the church, and thus we look at that same event now through green goggles instead of the purple goggles of Lent, if you will. And it's the green season where we grow increasingly more and more in our knowledge of our Lord. So seen in that green light then, We're looking at just another facet of this same incident, but we're looking at it this time, Peter and Jesus, as they make their exchange. Now it's more of an emphasis on our partial knowledge, right? That's all Peter got in terms of his limited understanding of the Christ. And so that points up our need to grow into a more full and complete knowledge of what Jesus the Christ came to do in service here to his lost planet. And so we can see here how the timeline of events in the Gospels can kind of get moved around or time gets bent, if you will, in order to best serve the church during its various church seasons. So believe it or not, this is how millions of believers all around the world for decades um, across denominational lines, this is how they have been discipled for decades now. And that's the key thing going on here. And we get it right out of our gospel passage. Verse 34. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, Jesus said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And that was a scary metaphor, uh, take up his cross. And for Jesus, indeed, it was not a metaphor at all. Jesus is talking to his disciples about following after him. That's discipleship. And that's what it means to be his disciple, to follow after. Where is he going? Jesus minces no words at this point. He has already set a course for Jerusalem, and that will be his last run up to Jerusalem. Because, as he explained to Peter's unwilling ears, there he will die. He is going to die. But he will also rise three days later. And this won't sink in until later. Uh, it's true for the disciples then who were en route to Jerusalem with Jesus. It's true for 21st century disciples today oftentimes too, isn't it? The other Sunday, you might recall, we rejoiced in taking in 10 new members here at Peace Lutheran Church. In fact, uh, just yesterday we had the new members luncheon, which went swimmingly. And with grateful hearts, we once again extended the right hand of fellowship to our new brothers and sisters in Christ. It was truly a joyous occasion, and maybe we even got a a bit too joyous for the Lenten season, but there's forgiveness for that. Honestly, I don't regret yesterday's joy so much as I do blame myself and my own pastoral eyes for not preparing our new members for the membership right, as I think I ought. I hope there's forgiveness for that, too. See, with the pandemic, goodness, it had been such a long while since we brought in new members, and I had just gotten my brand-new CPH edition Pastors Agenda, which contains all the ceremonies we pastors do, and I really hadn't looked over the membership right beforehand, uh, let alone gone over it with our new members. So instead, before y'all... I just launched into the very Lenten-themed, sobering questions that really come straight out of our gospel. Question, are you willing to suffer all things, even death, for the sake of the gospel, rather than fall away from our Christian faith? Answer, if so, answer, I am willing with the help of God. Well, congratulations to our faithful new members who didn't skip a beat. Uh, they took such heavy heart-hitting questions right in stride and profess their unwavering trust in the Lord to be with them even in the face of death. Well, I once again command all our new members for that. But if that were me, I would have liked a little warning ahead of time. Um, And that's the way Jesus did it, the right way. That's the way Jesus is doing it right here in our gospel lesson today. Jesus is very open about the matter. Look, He says, essentially, this is life and death. I'm giving you advanced warning. They're going to kill me. And at some point, they're going to want to do the same to you. Now, here we can insert a little note to just go to the book of Acts, where we read the fulfillment of Jesus' words. Uh, James first comes to mind, and then the martyr Stephen as well. Uh, Jesus gives them the fair warning. He's not telling them that the discipleship is all lunches and luau's. And this is his enduring word for the church throughout the centuries all the way up to us today. Not just for new members, though, but for every baptized member of the church in all places and of all ages. That's the sobering Lenten truth. I say Lenten because here we are invited to examine ourselves in light of this and ask for forgiveness for the times that we have not spoken up, spoken out, spoken freely about the kingdom of God for fear of what others may think. But yes, there is forgiveness for that as well. Jesus, like he promised, rose from the dead, meaning that he truly was and is the son of the living God. And truly all your sins, including those sins like Peter's, sins of denial, sins of shame, truly even all those are paid in full. Jesus made extra sure that Peter understood and believed this after he was resurrected and he went and personally restored Peter. Today, we hear those same words proclaiming the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, one on the cross, we hear those declared for you, to you. You are forgiven. You have the Lord's restorative peace. St. Paul reminds us of uh, as much. For while we were still weak, he writes in our epistle, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Good news. We all qualify on that one. We're all ungodly to a certain degree. So know then that Christ indeed died for you. Trust. And, Paul says, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So when suffering comes your way, and we have our share, both as individuals and corporately as a church, we have our suffering. And when it comes, not if, but when it comes, we can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And that hope does not put us to shame. If Jesus went to the cross to reconcile us when we were sinners, how much more shall we be saved by his resurrected life? time may indeed be relative, but the word of the Lord endures forever. The forgiveness that our Lord has won for you is for all time. Repent and believe that good news. By this good news, this gospel, God has poured his love into your hearts. By this gospel, God has given you his Holy Spirit. By this gospel, all your sins are Forgiven in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. Serve the Lord. Amen.